Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Well, we're into uncharted waters here, aren't we? Because this is episode seven of Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. You can tweet me at Bruce Daisley. You can tweet the show. You'll need to search for Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat on Twitter. It's basically two characters, too many. I can't say at, eat, sleep, work, repeat. Don't worry about it. Sometime around now, our website's going to be live. And that's eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. There you'll find all of the previous shows. Well, we're all having fun here, aren't we? I've had some fantastic feedback. I've I've also had some, some suggestions of who we should interview. I think ultimately the response reflects the conflict we all feel. We want to make out that our attitude to work is sort of frustrated, annoyed, depressed back to work again. In fact, I think secretly a lot of our purpose, happiness, stimulation comes from our jobs. So I'm going to do a few more episodes. One of the things that'd be really great is if iTunes helped promote the show. And what helps there is if you leave a review on iTunes. I can't tell you how easy this is. Go onto iTunes, click five stars, type, I freaking love this show. Put it on every iPhone, Steve Jobs, something like that. Anyway, I think today's format is going to be the new format. It's just going to be me and an interviewee. And it's a fantastic one to to kick us into that new format. Kim Scott is the founder of Candor Inc. And he's the author of a forthcoming book, Radical Candor. Shout out to Louise Ridley at BuzzFeed who put me on to Kim and her work. Because uh, disclosure, while I didn't directly work with her... Her and her business partner, Russ Laraway, were highly regarded colleagues of mine at Twitter. Having worked with lots of formidable people, she synthesised a lot of their skills into lessons that anyone can learn. As you hear, it's pretty clear Kim thinks it's time we stopped beating around the bush, started being fully honest with each other at work. Kim works in California. I gave her a call one night last week to ask her thoughts about honesty at work. Good. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I've been enjoying your podcast as well. Kim, I wonder if you could introduce us to the idea of Radical Candor and and how you how you found yourself creating this concept? Sure, absolutely. So Radical Candor is is a very simple idea really. It 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 sort of happens at the intersection of caring personally about the people who you're working with 
but also being willing to challenge them so that they can fix problems or or make their work do more of what's good. And and for me the the real pivotal moment in my career happened when I had this guy, we'll call him Bob, who was working for me. This was back at a startup long ago in Far Away in two thousand in New York. And I really liked Bob a lot. He was funny, he was charming, he was always willing to call nonsense. When when we were at one of those leadership conferences and we were being asked to do a get-to-know-you game that was taking forever, and everybody hated it, but nobody dared say it. Bob said, I have a good idea. Let's do something much faster. Let's just go around the table and confess what candy our parents used when potty training us. Weird, but fast. And so for everybody, even weirder, everybody remembered. For me, it was Hershey's Kisses. Uh, and then for the next 10 months, every time there was a tense moment in a meeting, Bob would whip out just the right piece of candy for the right person at the right moment. So anyway, funny, quirky, weird. Uh, not everybody finds this as amusing as I did, but we all loved Bob. That, that was why we loved Bob. It was just one problem with Bob. The problem with Bob was that he was doing absolutely terrible subpar work. And because we all liked him, nobody told him, especially not me, his boss, right? And so when he would hand something in, instead of saying, this is not nearly good enough, I would say, oh, Bob, you are so smart. I know this is a good start, but I think you can make it a little better. So I was basically giving him praise that was was utterly meaningless for all practical intents and purposes. And, uh, And I wasn't telling him when his work wasn't nearly good enough. After about 10 months of this, the inevitable happened, and I realized that if I didn't fire Bob, I was going to lose half my team. And so when I sat down to have a conversation with Bob that would have been much easier if I had had it 10 months ago, that was incredibly hard because I was firing him. He looked at me at the end. He sort of pushed his chair back, looked me right in the eye, and he said, why didn't you tell me? And as that question is rolling around in my head with no very good answer other than I totally screwed up, he said, why didn't anyone tell me? I thought you all cared about me. And in that moment, I realized that I had failed Bob in six really important ways. I had failed to ask him for praise and criticism, to ask him for guidance of me. Maybe I was doing something that was driving him so crazy he had to toke up in the bathroom, right? I don't know. I never will because I never asked him. And worse, I failed to give him praise that was meaningful. My praise for him was really just a head fake. And, and I failed to, to give him the kind of criticism that he would, that would let him know when his work wasn't nearly good enough. And worst of all, I think I had failed to create a culture in which everyone would tell Bob what was really good and when he was going off the rails. And because I had failed Bob, I was now having to fire him, right? And that was a terrible moment, probably the worst moment of my career. All I could do in that moment was promise myself in a very solemn way that I would never make that mistake again. And that was really the beginning of my thinking about how to prevent myself from making that mistake and and how to help the people who I worked with avoid making that mistake, avoid being in that very painful situation. And happily, uh, a few, a couple of years later, I 
I took a job at, at Google and got to see a much better, happier example of, of radical candor done right. And this was, this was when I was working for Sheryl Sandberg. So I had to give, I, I had joined Google, I was leading the AdSense online sales and operations team, and I, I had to give a presentation to Larry and Sergey, the founders, and to Eric Schmidt. And I walked into the room, and there's Larry in this sort of bright neon blue spandex unitard and toe shoes on an elliptical trainer in the back of the room. And Eric is so deep in his email, it's like his brain has melded with his machine. And so I wonder, like, how in the world am I going to get their attention? What am, what, is, what am I supposed to do here? And sort of like any normal person in that situation, I felt a little bit nervous. But then when I started to talk and described how many new customers we had added, Sergey comes to a screeching halt on the elliptical trainer, and, and Eric's head snaps up out of his computer. And he, he says, what resources do you need? Do you need more engineers? What do you need to keep this good thing going? And so, you know, I felt like the presentation had gone, had gone pretty well. In fact, I sort of felt like a genius. And as I was walking out of the room, I walked past Cheryl, my boss, and I was expecting sort of a high five or a pat on the back. And instead, she said, why don't you walk back to my office with me? <laughs> so now I'm thinking, oh boy, I screwed something up uh, and I really want to know what it is. And, and Cheryl started out by telling me what had gone well. And it wasn't sort of the feedback sandwich insincere praise. There were really a few things that, that I had done well that I didn't even know were good. So it was useful. But of course, what I really wanted to hear was what I had done wrong, not, not what had gone well. And eventually she, she said, you know, you said um a lot in there. Were you aware of it? And I sort of breathed a huge sigh of relief because now I felt like it was not a big deal, right? I kind of made a brush off gesture with my hand. If all I had done wrong was said, I'm a lot, nothing was really too bad, right? And I, so I made this brush off gesture with my hand and I said, yeah, I know it's kind of a verbal tick. It's, it's no big deal, really. And then Cheryl said, there's this really great speech coach I know, and Google would pay for it. Would you like an introduction? And I sort of made that brush-off gesture with my hands again. I said, no, I'm, I'm busy. Didn't you hear about all those customers? I don't have time to go see a, an um coach. And she stops, and she looks at me right in the eye, and she said, I can see when you make that brush-off gesture with your hands that I'm going to have to be a lot more direct with you. When you say um, every third word, it makes you sound unsure of what you're saying and kind of stupid, right? Now she has my full attention. Stupidity was a cardinal sin at Google. And, and so a lot of people would have said that it was mean to, to tell me that I sounded stupid. But in fact, it was the kindest thing that Cheryl could possibly have done for me in that moment. And if I had been a different kind of person, if I hadn't been making that brush-off gesture with my hand, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have said it, right? She, she wouldn't have needed to say it. But she could tell from my body language that she needed to push harder to get through to me. And because So she tested you, basically. She tested the ground that, right, okay, this is someone who's maybe less responsive. Exactly. Like, Bruce, you are a good listener. So I'm sure if she had been talking to you, she wouldn't have had to tell you that you sounded stupid. You would have said, oh, yes, of course, I'd love to go see that speech coach, right? 
But I'm a little bit stubborn, so she had to work kind of hard to get through to me. And she was willing to do it, right? And, and because she was willing to do it, I did go see that speech coach. And I learned that she was not exaggerating. I really did say um, every third word. And this was news to me, and big news, because I had been giving presentations for my whole career. And I wasn't so early in my career at that point. It was as though I had been for 15 years walking around with my fly down and nobody until I met Cheryl had done me the courtesy of telling me not my fly was down, right? And I could fix it if I knew it was a problem, but nobody had told me it was a problem. And that really got me thinking again about the Bob story and about what, what was it that Cheryl had done that made it seem so easy for her to show me that to tell me what I needed to hear, and why had nobody else done it? Because on your podcast, and in, in I presume in your forthcoming book, you say that this sort of this lesson we've all learned, which is if if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. And it's almost like is is that what prevents us being honest and and candid with each other? Yes, I think that's a huge part of it. I think there are two things that Cheryl did that were easy for her, but that are hard for most of us. The first thing she did was to show that she cared personally. And one of her mantras was bring your whole self to work, right? And so, for example, and she did this not just for me, but for for everyone who ever worked directly for her. For example, when I moved to California and from New York and didn't know anybody here, she invited me to join her book club, right? She knew that I loved novels and she knew that I loved books and she knew I didn't have many friends. And so she set me up, right? When I had a family member who was ill, she said, go home, do everything you need to do, and, uh, and don't take it as vacation time. We've got you covered here. Your family comes first. And, and this was the sort of thing she consistently did for everyone who worked for her. So she showed us all that she cared about us, not just as professionals, but as human beings. And that was really important. And then the second thing she did, and, and what, you know, the, the question is, why is caring personally so rare? Why would anybody fall down on that dimension? Cheryl's, not the, Cheryl's a wonderful person, but she certainly is not the only wonder. Almost everybody is a, is a caring human being. I think the thing that trips a lot of us up on that care personally dimension is that when we're very, you know, when we're 18, 19, 20, when we're getting our first job, and we're right at that moment when our egos are most fragile, but our personas are beginning to solidify. For far too many people, that means leave your humanity, leave the very best part of yourself at home and come to work like some kind of robot. Never a recipe for success. One of the really important things that did was to, to move beyond being, it's not that she was unprofessional ever, but to move beyond being only professional. So that's the first dimension. And then the second dimension is exactly what you were talking about, is that willingness to challenge others directly. And I think that we fall down on that dimension because when we're 18 months old, so this starts much earlier and therefore is a harder thing to, to fix, uh, we're told if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, or some version of that. And people I've managed in, in virtually every culture in the world have some version of that saying that parents tell their kids. And it's it's no wonder that parents tell their kids that because kids really can come out with some singers. But 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 now when you become a leader, it's your job to say it. 
And undoing training that's been beaten in your head since you learned to speak is hard. How do you, how do you teach people this? Because one version of this is when I was doing management training, they used to call this the shit sandwich. Yeah. And I guess, you know, so, so you tell people something nice, then you tell them the really spiky thing, and then you, uh, and then you tell something nice. But it's, it seems more sophisticated than that. It's, yeah. it's just an open, nope. transparent dialogue yeah. rather, than, rather than smuggling bad things through. Exactly right. Nobody, nobody likes a shit sandwich. And I think I think it's really important to realize that both praise and criticism, when you're doing both of those things, and, and feedback is consists of both praise and criticism, and pr- more praise than criticism, because you're not firing your whole team every day, right? They're doing more good stuff than bad stuff. But both praise and criticism should show you care. Like, criticism can show you care just as much as praise. So don't confuse late praise and caring personally. Both praise and criticism should do two things. They should show that you care and they should challenge people directly. Now, challenging people directly with praise is a little confusing at first, but the purpose of praise is to show people what to do more of, right? The show purpose of criticism is to show them how to do better. And so both praise and criticism should be radically candid. And I think the the way that I try to teach people to avoid doing what I did with Bob is to name that quadrant very clearly, right? To name what happens there very clearly. That's what I call ruinous empathy, right? I wish I liked Bob so much that I couldn't bear to hurt his feelings and therefore I wound up firing him. Not so nice after all. So think hard about sort of the difference between being kind and quote-unquote nice. And that, I think, will help guide you. I think another thing, you know, I would say I may be giving myself a little bit too much credit in the Bob story, too. It wasn't merely that I was trying to be nice. I also, I didn't want the, everybody liked Bob, and I didn't want the rest of the team to think I was a jerk. Right, So it wasn't just Bob's feelings that I was worried about. That would put me simply in the ruinous empathy quadrant. But it was also my own reputation that I was worried about. And so I was being manipulatively insincere in that case. In the the case where you neither show you care nor challenge somebody, that's what I call manipulative insincerity. And so I, I, I use these sort of very strong terms, not not because I want people to judge themselves or each other harshly, but just to be aware when you're in a conversation of which direction you're headed and to to use those strong terms to move you towards radical candor. Because radical candor does take a lot of emotional energy and it it takes courage, frankly. And so sometimes it's helpful to be afraid of what's going on in the other quadrant. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because I guess so much of management, especially, you know, if if you believe the notion of expertise coming after 10,000 hours, so much of management is in a amateur learner stage. Yeah. And so consequently, a lot of managers prioritise being popular over being successful or, or communicating properly. And so consequently, that notion of being a jerk boss is such a vivid uh, pitfall that we're scared about that often we don't say the thing that everyone knows about George or we don't address the thing that everyone knows about Philippa, do we? It's just a, 
we, we tend to skirt around it, hoping that the issue will go away. Yes, I think you, you, you really said it better than I could have said it. The thing that so many managers, new managers, but also super experienced, often some of them successful managers, fear is what I call obnoxious aggression. They fear looking like a jerk, right? They fear that if they criticize, they're not going to show that they care personally. And in fact, it is, of course, difficult to show that you care personally when you're offering somebody criticism. And so they don't do it. But that that actually makes them ruinously empathetic. So they they fear, the, the bosses, the managers fear being in the obnoxious aggression quadrant. Whereas their employees fear their boss is going to be in the ruinous sympathy quadrant. Because most employees know that in order to grow, they need to know when they're making mistakes. They want, they want to be told. I mean, nobody wants to make a mistake. But if you do make a mistake, you want to know about it so you can fix it. It's very interesting dynamic. And, and this is one of the reasons why this very simple two-by-two two that, that I came up with, which is uh, imagine a, a vertical line is, is care personally, horizontal line is challenge directly. And when you think about what happens when you do both, that's radical candor, when you challenge but fail to show that you care, that's obnoxious aggression. That's what most managers fear. But where most managers actually are is showing they care but not challenging directly. And that's what I call ruinous empathy. And occasionally, because managers so fear being developing a reputation for obnoxious aggression, they'll actually move to the worst quadrant of all, manipulative insincerity. And that obviously is not a good place from which to build a good reputation or a good team or a good business. And can everyone in a business do this? This doesn't necessarily feel like it just has to be top down. No. This presumably can be a culture that everyone should be doing. You're, you're absolutely correct. It's up, down, and sideways. Everybody can do it. I think that if you're, if you're the boss, though, it's your moral obligation to do it. And he got an email from a guy that used to work for him, an engineer who used to work for him, who had a reputation as sort of a prima donna. He didn't like to, um, you know, he's very picky about what he worked on. And in a startup, you just can't have that kind of attitude. People have got to be willing to roll up their sleeves and, and do whatever. And my friend was reluctant to tell him this directly. Uh, and, and he started to sort of send the email off to, a, to the recruiting team to brush the guy off politely. And then he realized that would not be radically candid. And so he picked up the phone and he called the guy and he told him exactly why he didn't want to interview him. And he was dreading the conversation. He thought the guy was going to blow up at him or yell at him. And when he finished telling him, the guy said, thank you so much. What you just told me was even more valuable than giving me a job. Something's been holding me back and nobody's told me what it was. And now I know. So it's a simple, it often is much easier it's, it's often, not always, I won't promise always, but it is often received much better than you expect it to be. Yeah, I mean, I remember my, one of my fondest uh, bosses ever was was very direct mm -hmm. and in a positive and negative way. But in addition, I, I chatted to Patty McCord from um, who wrote the Netflix Culture document a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And she was talking about how the more honest they were with people the better people knew where they stood and they people thrived knowing where they stood. Yes. You, you develop a great relationship when you're radically candid. When you're something else, 
the relationship suffers. But it does, relationships are hard, and it does take emotional energy to be radically candid. Amazing. Good luck with the book, Kim. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, you Bye-bye. too. Be well. Bye. Thanks to Kim. I loved that. I think there's certain episodes where you know that it's going to blow up and I'm going to get a whole load of comments the next day. I think that is like Patty McCord a couple of weeks ago. I think a lot of people are going to connect with that. Really radical honesty, transparency at work. If you search our, our Twitter account, you'll see a presentation by Kim and a link to a great BuzzFeed article about someone who tried out radical candor in their workplace. Quite an entertaining read. Today's episode came from a suggestion by Louise Ridley at BuzzFeed. Let me know if you've got anyone you want me to interview in particular on the pod. Our website's up at eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. Thank you for listening. Speak next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.